in the ballpark, season 2020, here we go! May the final round of the AFL Premiership season begin! Welcome back to In The Ballpark. I'm Michael Serpel, and it's an absolute pleasure to have your company wherever you're listening from. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast along with the incredibly tense and tight AFL season. And going into the final round of the season, we are still none the wiser of the eight teams who will be playing finals in 2020. It's one of the best endings to a home and mostly away season anyone could have ever asked for. Let's bring in the men who will help navigate us through this final round of the football. Introducing, whether it's a win, loss or draw, has a secret handshake ready to deliver to his umpiring fraternity, which puts Sasha and Dominic Team's handshake to shame. It's Ryan Slip Slop Slapping Fryzy Hartwick. Fryzy, welcome to you, mate. Serbs, thank you very much again. Boys, good to be back. Final round, of course. And uh, in 2020, Serbs, that is a fist bump more than a handshake. <laughs> Hard to believe, isn't it? Home and away season. You can't really call it that. I think just away season would be more than sufficient. But look, thanks again, sir. And we're sitting here without a Tuesday night double header as well, which feels a little bit different, not having footy during the week. But it all starts again on Thursday night, and we'll get into that very, very shortly. And let's introduce... The man who knows how many fans interrupted play in between points with their chance in the US Open. How many Carlton supporters thank the heavens their game on Sunday wasn't a free-to-air clash. And how many Melbourne fans are thankful the river is now flowing again after the drought that was left since Jared. And how many of those same fans have been vocal about the free Maccas? They ended up scoring on Saturday. It's Maxi. Glad he left the TV set in a McFlurry. Tonner, Maxi, welcome to you, mate. Thanks, sir. I don't know the answer to any of those questions, but it's good to be back. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant to have you back, Maxi. And by the way, talking about September traditions on the show in Australia, how good is it that the Macca's Monopoly competition is back on? We're not even getting paid to say that either, Maxi, but I am very, very keen to win the Flight Centre voucher. So I can fly from Tullamarine to Avalon Airport because I think that's all the Victorians can do at the moment. I don't think I've had Maccas in like two years or something. Good to hear, mate. Are you making the most of that? Usually they were the perfect compliment on a road trip where you're travelling around Australia, see how many freebies you can get, next roadside stop. Oh, look at that. Free apple bag. Let's go into their servo and pick up some McDonald's. It was very, very good for the road trips. Not so much if you're sitting at home, Maxie. Have you had a crack at the uh, Macca's pick a winner thing that they're doing at Channel 7? Where you pick the winner and you get a free Macca's dinner or whatever it is? I haven't had a crack at that yet, mate. You want to pick a one-sided game to do the Macca's pick a winner, I think, Maxie. Yeah, I reckon if people like their Macca's out there, then you just got to pick a winner on a Friday night or whatever Channel 7's covering it. And it's pretty easy dinner, I reckon. They said you can submit your tip by half time. So if it's over by quarter time, 
Oh, you are dreaming. Yeah, I reckon the Richmond versus Geelong one was danger signs for Geelong earlier. I reckon that would have been a pretty easy one to pick. Now, fellas, before we get into this week's edition of my footy memory, footy memory, the finals are a fortnight away, which means there are some big talking points we need to discuss. Now, the AFL have released today the fixturing policies for the 2020 Toyota AFL final series. Here are some of the key takeaways that were from that release today. Now, Port Adelaide finishing first or second will play week one of the finals at Adelaide Oval, which we suspected they would. If they win, they will play a preliminary final at Adelaide Oval. How big will that be, gents? If they lose, however, they will still get to play a semi-final at Adelaide Oval. Brisbane Lions, very, very similar position for them. Finishing first or second, they will play week one of the finals at the Gabba. If they win, they will play a prelim at the Gabba as well. And if they win that prelim, well, we know where they're going to play. And if they lose, they will play that semi-final at the Gabba as well. The West Coast Eagles, well, this is a good result for them, gents, because finishing fifth or sixth, that will allow them to play week one of the finals in Western Australia. They, along with their opponent, will be required to quarantine for a minimum of seven days in Western Australia leading into that match. But based on that seven-day quarantine period, it will be achievable for this final. There will be no subsequent weeks where they'll be able to play in Western Australia. So a bit of a disadvantage for them. They have been winning games in Queensland of late. So starting to get that form out of Western Australia, which is good for them. Richmond, Geelong, St Kilda, Western Bulldogs, Collingwood, if they finish fifth or sixth, they will be playing week one of the finals at either Metricom, the Gabba or Adelaide Oval. So they will be able to choose their preference of those grounds. So that means, gents, that Thursday will again, and it's happened since 2016, will be the opening night of the finals, followed by a Friday night match on October the 2nd, and then a Saturday afternoon twilight game on October the 3rd, followed by a night game on that same Saturday. Gents, lots of big announcements here, but must be said, a lot of these were pretty predictable coming in to today's announcement. Yeah, I don't think there was any too big of a shock. Where do you guys think that both Geelong and Richmond are probably the two favourites? Um, where do you think they'll nominate their own games to be played? Uh, well, off the top of my head, gents, I, I, I don't know the records of the season where these sides have won their most number of matches, but I wonder if they'll just, where have they had their most success? Where have they felt most comfortable, maybe? Um, this is just extraordinary. We're in a situation where we have sides getting to choose their preferred venue for a home final. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? I reckon Geelong would have wanted that a few years ago so they could pick Simmons Stadium or GMHBA, whatever oh, it's called. Oh, he's now. gone there, Maxi. It's, it was the subject we just had to mention. I'm sure many Cats fans will be shaking their head even now. You're right how handy that would have been some years ago. So really, a best-case scenario for Brisbane could see three consecutive matches at the Gabba. And I suppose for a side like Port Adelaide, maybe it doesn't necessarily feel as different to normal anyway for them. I mean, if they were to go a win in week one 
and then a win in a home prelim, well, you end up playing in the grand final at a ground away from home regardless. So that aspect won't change too much for them. Interesting to see if Port can land themselves in uh, their first grand final for over a decade. But that is just a fascinating aspect, though, isn't it? That teams have the ability to choose. It is absolutely extraordinary, as you highlighted there, Fryzy. I would be very, very surprised if any of those Victorian clubs, considering they're all in Queensland hubs, select Adelaide Oval to be their home ground. I would be very, very surprised if that happens. However, the Saints have won a couple of games at Adelaide Oval. So if the Saints get that spot... Be very interested to see if they challenge whoever's below them and take that game to Adelaide Oval, possibly. But I think for Geelong, probably be trying to play that game at the Gabba. And if I was Richmond, they've had a pretty good record at Metricon this year. So I don't think it will affect Richmond too much, but probably Geelong might slightly prefer the Gabba, especially with the grand final being played there. Yeah, and just on that, guys, the schedule rollout of that first week, what do we feel about the Thursday night kickoff? As you say, it's been going for a few seasons now in a row. I think it's now just part of it that we're going to have going forward. What do we think about that? I don't mind it, but um, say if this was just a regular season, which obviously it's not, I kind of miss... Do you remember when we used to have those big Sunday afternoon at the MCG? Against, it was usually an elimination final. My mind races back to, I think it was both Richmond and North Melbourne one year and then Richmond versus Carlton. I like the Thursday nights, but at the same time, in a regular year, I used to love those um, Sunday afternoon at the MCG, two Victorian clubs going at it. I think Thursday nights are probably the way of the future. Yeah, you're probably right there, Maxie. But I agree with you. It would be great to have at least one footy match have it on a day. I know they went with a Saturday twilight, which kind of meets them halfway, but I agree. I'd love to see a Sunday's final game, especially with nice weather as well. You just cannot beat that. And I think there was another year as well. I think it was played at Adelaide Oval. It might have been a Sunday game, and I think Port Adelaide were playing Richmond, and that had a lot of hype around it as well. I know know Richmond got absolutely blown out of the water, but the kind of atmosphere there on a Sunday afternoon at Adelaide Oval was quite amazing as well. Yeah, it was those three years in a row where Richmond lost three elimination finals in a row. I think it was 13, 14 and 15. I think they missed the finals in 16 and then obviously came back to win it in 17. Probably as Essendon fans, that's why we like them so much and probably why they're so memorable. I think we have some pretty bad Sunday afternoon finals. My mind goes back to that game against Carlton at the MCG where we got absolutely flogged. Was that game that against Sydney that you went up to? Was that on a Sunday? Nah, surprisingly, Maxie, that was a Saturday afternoon evening match. That was beautiful weather as well. I loved the whole build-up to that game. I even loved the first couple of minutes of the game where Joey took a big screamer. <laughs> but after that, I just sat back and took photos of the sunset. Going over the SCG, there was nothing else worth watching below me that was anything of importance. No, I think you've done a kick that goal. Then Zaharakis had a shot and he missed it. A goal he should have kicked. And then from there, it was just all downhill. Boys, just on that. And the great thing is that those Sunday finals in the past, especially the ones in Melbourne, they typically get 90,000 plus in the place. It was Mm. fantastic spectacle. And I guess the only downside to the Thursday night adjustment is now it seems as though that Sunday final has suffered. That's the victim in all this because I don't think we've seen one of them since the Thursdays have come in. So they're still hell-bent on, on having the two finals on Saturday, be it one in the afternoon, as we said, and then one at night. So unfortunately, that's something we mightn't see anytime soon. I mean, can you imagine this being a normal season, all things being equal? And what if you had a potential Richmond-Collingwood or Richmond-Western Bulldogs sort of elimination <laughs> final lined up? I mean, that would be a perfect recipe for a Sunday afternoon at the G. But anyhow, not to be. As you gents mentioned there, Adelaide Oval, the SCG, the MCG, they were all pretty much close to full capacity 
during those finals. So definitely, despite being a day, still plenty of hype and still plenty of fans at the footy. The other topic on the agenda is the Brownlow medal. And all reports are suggesting that the Brownlow medal will most likely be an online event this year, like many events at the moment. There's been a lot of music festivals that you have to switch on on a Saturday night via the computer, (laughs) which is a little bit strange, but it's the time that we live in, gents. So there will be studios set up around the country. Hamish McLaughlin will be hosting it. As always, his brother will be reading out the votes and Bruce McAvaney will be possibly doing some roaming on the web. Delicious. It looks like it's going to be set for the Sunday night before the grand final. And as social distancing would be a big issue at the function event, it does seem like a little bit of a logistical nightmare. So I think hence why the event is going online. Gents, what do we think about this? And is this a pretty expected piece of news considering all the restrictions around having people in a certain venue at a certain time. Uh, I think so, guys. Yeah, I'm sure the league wants to probably do the right thing by the community and in terms of you know, the look and trying to send the right message. can certainly understand why they've decided that. So just to confirm, this is not a televised event at all. You, you're going to have to go online to watch the stream. I think it will be a televised event for Izzy, but mm-hmm. as for, I think, a lot of the interviews, I think they will be held online, particularly if there are players in certain hubs that connect to the internet to get uh, the broadcast. But that is a good question. It hasn't been fully confirmed. That's just my impression of the news. But it would be interesting if it wasn't a televised event and you'd have to jump onto a Zoom chat <laughs> to, to watch the Brownlow medal. I think that would be very, very odd. Absolutely. No, that was just my first thought, guys, was how do, how do we do this? Do we still get to park ourselves in front of the TV on Brownlow night? And why don't it feel just that little bit different on a Sunday as well? You'd have to think that in advance that they would have to know who the winner would be of the Brownlow medal. I mean, it is looking pretty likely to be Lockie Nil, but there is one round left. And if there's one errant tackle, who knows, could be going to someone else. So... You would think that in order to actually give that Brownlow directly to that person on the night and kind of crown them the Brownlow medalist for 2020, they would have to know in advance who that winner is going to be. I don't know. It sort of sounds dull to me, but at the same time, I can imagine they'll have a little bit of fun with Bruce playing on Zoom or something maybe. I don't know. It sounds a bit disappointing to me. I don't think it'll be a Brownlow to be too excited about, but I reckon there'll be a few disappointed wives and girlfriends who aren't going to be able to dress up and get on the red carpet this year, that's for sure. I think so, yeah. It's just the most unique situation. We're probably never going to see a Brownlow night on a Sunday again. I know that the day of the week shouldn't have seen that significant, but um, everyone knows that this year's where the rule book sort of doesn't apply. And I don't mean during the matches, of course. (laughs) I will say this, though, about the surprise factor of the winner of the Brownlow medal, especially if it's a very, very close count this year and they actually have to deliver by post the Brownlow medal or have someone actually hand the Brownlow medal to the winner possibly at their home or in the hub, you would think that if a Australia Post delivery van outside your house and there's a certain person loitering around your house, then there may be a big possibility that you might be the winner of the Brownlow medal and that little surprise aspect in the count might be taken away from that person. Yeah, yeah, that's look, that's right. Uh, does the postal delivery driver need to just wear a little camera there as we we capture the reaction of the player from from his house live or something like that normal logic and rules don't apply at the moment so anything could could come up
Let's get to one of our favourite segments of the show. It is my footy memory. Bye, bye, bye. Footy memory. Oh, yeah. Here we go. All right, here we go. Strap yourself in, gents. Ooh, here we go. Well, magpies, gentlemen. It's fair to say they have a reputation. Have a reputation. We saw during the week footage of a local rugby match where a poor player was heckled and hacked by one very persistent and deadly magpie. They did not give up on trying to peck some worms out of this poor man's concussion helmet. (laughs) And it is fair to say it is a reminder of a very real experience that I had with a magpie when I travelled to Western Australia. Now, to give you some context... Magpies usually breed between August and October every year. And it's this time that their protective swooping behaviours are in full force. They have no fear whatsoever. The good news is that a single magpie will swoop for only about six weeks until their chicks are fledged and ready to leave the nest. So only six weeks (laughs) of swooping for you to put up with. That's not too bad. So magpie breeding season is usually all over by November. But before November, if your local footy oval, park, or trustworthy footpath is anywhere near a nest, you are in absolute strife. And don't get me started how much of a target practice cyclists are. Don't they already have it tough, the poor cyclists? Gee whiz. (laughs) Western Australia... 2013 and we're visiting some family friends and one afternoon their local footy club decided to have a scratch match before their final series they found me a jumper and it honestly looked like that jumper had been used to clog pipes in their public toilet block well <laughs> oh, it was not a pretty sight and they gave me a pair of steel cap boots which they claim to be footy boots. Before they gave me a piece of Play-Doh to put in my mouth, I told them I had enough borrowed footy equipment for that particular occasion. (laughs) Now, scratch matches at the best of times aren't the greatest idea. I mean, just look at Libba in Vietnam, gents. Gee whiz, didn't he have a day out? It was a fun match. Beautiful conditions, not a cloud in the sky. And we were playing near an old convent There was a lot of trees lining the boundary, so the crowd brought their best shovels and brooms just in case the ball flew into one of the trees' canopies. I noticed one of the players were wearing a concussion helmet, which had spikes on the top, which I thought was a little bit dangerous, especially if you were going for a hard ball against him. But equally, this game was lawless, with some players not opting to wear shoes. (laughs) And some of the other players were drinking mixed spirits from drink bottles at halftime. Gents, it's fair to say I was genuinely freaked out with this Western Australian mob. Now, in the third term, I had a moment where I had the ball. I went for a run along the boundary. I rushed my kick and the ball spiraled off my boot and hit one of the branches of the tree. The ball came down out of the tree. But unfortunately for me, that wasn't the only thing I saw. An angry magpie! (laughs) Spiral out of the tree and flew beak first 
into my cranium. Oh, it hurt. I was convinced it made a sizable indent in my skull. It flew away. But before I could re-enter the field of play, it came back for seconds. And this time, he wanted blood. <laughs> oh, eventually, I ran into a local cafe at least a kilometre away from the ground. I slammed the cafe door behind me, taking a big sigh. But before I could blink, I turned to my right side to see the magpie was perched on the cafe window that was open, staring me down, silent. Before flying Get back! straight into my nose. <laughs> oh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this massive man wearing an apron. I tell you what, he was a big, bearded, balding bastard. It was as if Andre the Giant had had a baby with the singer Pavarotti. <laughs> this man, no joke, grabbed the magpie in mid-flight <laughs> and threw it out of the window <laughs> as if it was a paper plane. And he looked at me and he said, no magpie in my store. <laughs> with tears rolling down my eyes, I ordered a dirty chai and a toasty. And gentlemen, that is my footy memory for this week. Oh, Serps, I hope, well the chai, I hope the chai and the toaster was worth it in the end. Oh, it was a beautiful moment. But I tell you what, guys, I think I've still got marks in my skull from the amount of chomps that magpie took out of my skull. It was a pretty scary incident. It's funny you bring that up because I've been going on walks all quarantine. And this whole time around the Maramurang River, there's been this gang of magpies around this little area. And I've always just looked at them and wondered, are they, are they going to swoop me? But they never have until about a week ago. Oh. I, was, <laughs> I was just walking and suddenly I hear this clap like that. And I think, what the hell was that? And then I look like 10 metres in front of me, these magpies just swoop me. I'm like, I've never been swooped by a magpie ever before until about a week ago. He must have come from back around me and he hit this clap again. So I don't know whether it's what they're doing. I think they just clapped their wings. He didn't like attack me with his beak or something. He just sort of clapped his wing like right past my ear. He came from behind me both times. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up a magpie this week because I've never been swooped by a magpie ever before until about a week ago. It's their mating period, so... I'll just put it together now. They're either very horny or they're very protective, Maxie. <laughs> Bit of both. Oh, and to say it is a scary experience is an understatement. They are unrelenting as you touch on at the start of the memory serps. The poor bloke in the video, no matter where he looked or where he tried to go, he, he couldn't get away. <laughs> very, very scary experience being attacked by any kind of bird, let alone a magpie. We don't like the football team, do we, as Essendon fans? And the creature itself, we're not particularly fond of either. As they say, magpies, they have a reputation. Just have a reputation. That is my week's My Footy Memory. Bye, bye, bye. Footy Memory. Let's get on to the round 17 considerable winners and mammoth losers. And let's start with a team who have well and truly put forward their premiership credentials yet again. It's almost as if 
Lightning has struck for the third consecutive time. It's that kind of season again for the Richmond Football Club and they're just starting to gain momentum and get important, valuable players back at the right periods of time. And on Friday night, we saw a top-of-the-table clash, but Richmond blew the Cats out of the water. And Maxi, how... Serious of a threat are the Richmond Football Club coming in to the October final series. They're the biggest threat there is, I think. It was probably one of the games I was probably most excited for this year. And it was just like such a letdown. So you went into it thinking Geelong are probably the informed team. I think I would tip Geelong on the last show. But yeah, it was just such a letdown because Richmond was so dominant. You went into it thinking whose system's going to come out on top? Is it Richmond the system that they've played for however many years now? Or is it going to be Geelong? And Richmond just came out way superior. It's kind of a little bit deflating because I sort of thought we're going to go through this entire roller coaster of a year just to watch Richmond win another grand final. But um, you've got to give them credit. Geelong really struggled to move the ball. I remember, sir, I think we went to Dreamtime at the G a few years ago and we saw how well set up Richmond were behind the ball. But you can just see that every team knows they're going to do it, but they can't do anything about it because they're just so well set up. But they took away the corridor from Geelong. I forced them to go lateral and backwards. And Geelong, I saw a stat that they left their back half 62 times. And from that, they only entered the 50 on 14 occasions from that. Yeah, it just goes to show how well set up Richmond are behind the ball. Also, Geelong had 32 more disposals than Richmond and had two less inside 50s. So that just goes to show how much that they're bombing the ball down the line and getting it turned over, as well as kicking the ball laterally and backwards in their back half. Also thought going into the game, one of the big um, question marks was what are Richmond going to do with Hawkins? So I think this year Geelong have had a pretty big focus on isolating um, Tommy Hawkins up forward, just considering how big and strong he is. And also he's probably in career best form and he's moving really well physically as well. But um, Noah Bolter played on him one-on-one. He's actually a really good physical matchup considering how strong Noah Bolter is. But then you also saw Grimes and Vlosten, who somehow Grimes and Vlosten always just seem to be playing by themselves. So Ivan Soldo, they just got back to help out Bolter one-on-one and Hawkins couldn't get out by himself much at all during the game. So it's a bit of a question mark for me. If Richmond and Geelong do play again in the finals, maybe if it's a prelim or a grand final, what do Geelong do with their forward line? Do they maybe send Hawkins further up the ground and maybe put a danger field there so he can sort of occupy Grimes a little bit so Grimes doesn't peel off Hawkins as much? Yeah, they took away one of Geelong's biggest strengths in Hawkins, who's probably going to win the Coleman medal. I think he's nine up at the moment. Another question mark, I flagged this a few weeks ago, but Mark Blitzars, again, he played on a wing, which is a little bit interesting to me considering that Jack Revolt picked four. Blitzars is surely the best option Geelong have got to play directly on Revolt. And Soto, as I mentioned before, he tore his ACL. So that's a big loss for Richmond. I think he's been playing really good footy both in the ruck and he sort of gets behind the ball and takes a few intercept grabs. So a bit of a loss there. Lynch has also done his hamstring. I'm not sure what the extent of that is. I'd probably say a fortnight. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was too bad. It was probably precautionary that he went off. I'm sure he, he won't play this week, but considering they have the bye as well. Speaking of hamstring injuries, just extraordinary how Dylan Grimes came back and was just so athletic. He's probably marking the best he has. It's just extraordinary that they got him right at such a good period of time and came back and almost as if he's missed no footy. Sort of says to me that it probably wasn't severe hamstring than probably first thought. It was probably more of a, a minor one and they were pretty precautious with him. But um, for Grimes himself, he's had a lot of hamstring issues in his past. So to see how well he come back and played 
is a good sign for Richmond. So hopefully for them, it's the same case with Tommy Lynch. Yeah, my question coming out of that game is who can beat Richmond and how are they going to do it? So Geelong, it'll be interesting to see if they do play Richmond. Do they go with the same sort of tactics or do they switch it around a little bit? They might be winner. Very fitting big winner indeed, Maxie. And we speak about possibly these two teams matching up again in the finals. There must be a part of your thinking, though, behind the fact that if you are Geelong right now, you would be happier that this has happened now rather than in a crunch final, knowing that they have to fix up these areas and knowing that they probably have some good personnel coming back that will possibly complement Hawkins in Reece Stanley and possibly Gary Rowan too. I mean, they're two big players who are going to help Hawkins hopefully isolate him, as you mentioned. I want to touch on a statistic, though, that I think is really, really telling. And it's a very, very similar comparison between what happened on Friday night and the prelim final of last year. Now, we talk about Richmond's ball movement and how well set up they are behind the ball. The points scored on the weekend was 57, obviously, shorter quarters. They scored 85 points in the prelim final. Now, points scored from the back half. They scored 37 points from their back half on Friday night and 43 points from their back half in the prelim final. Now, percent of score from the back half, it was 65% on Friday night and it was 51% during the prelim final. So it just goes to show on the rebound, Richmond really, really are hurting the Cats. And yeah, whether the Cats properly looked at that stat or whether they were making comparisons, I know it's a year on, but... Still the same kind of problems, Maxi. Yeah, it's whenever you see Richmond play, it's as I said, you can't get through their defence. They're so well set up behind the ball. But when you do get into their defence, it's hard to keep it in their defensive half. And they seem to just stream out of their back line so easily and generate scores from that with their forward handballs and all those little taps that they do. But um, from a Geelong perspective, if they do run into Richmond, we're going to have the same discussion about Geelong that we've had for the last five years. Great home and away season, but then they fall short in the finals. So a bit of a worry for Geelong as well. Fryzy, how good is it to see a man who at first really, really struggled with the hub life finally getting some goals and really, really complimenting Tom Lynch well in that forward line? Of course, Jack Rewalt. Well, didn't he turn back the clock? No doubt the hub life would have been tricky for, I would say, more players than not. Um, I'm sure there's plenty who have really battled during it that we haven't heard about. But um, the last couple of years when these sides have played, whether it's finals match or not, Richmond just seem to have their measure. And clearly that's still the case. Your point is a really good one, though, about the Cats now getting some time to go away, think about that and how... Um, they might be able to combat uh, the Tigers should they meet again with, I think, neutral fans of the final series, such as us three, hope to be the case because um, it could make for a ripping final. Look, just in answer to the previous question, though, of who's beating them at the moment, I'm unable to give an answer for that, I think. It looks very much like they will be one of the ones to stop yet again. Well, St Kilda did beat them very, very early on at the start of the season. So they may be a little bit of a wild card possibly coming into the final series. But you're absolutely right, gentlemen. In recent times, not many of those dominant top eight clubs have been able to get a hold of the Tigers. They are certainly running away with it again. Fryzy, let's get to your considerable winner for this round. And it is a team that we all thought on the show burnt their finals chances. They are still a very, very strong chance of finishing inside the eight. They deserve to with some of the footy that they've played this season. It was a massive win on Saturday night and Melbourne fans would be rejoicing 
at the moment in some of their young guns. So the Demons, Frizy, what did you like? What did you see on the weekend that has you excited and possibly has you confident about them playing finals in 2020? Yeah, absolutely, guys. Look, I know uh, I've dealt them a fair whack of criticism this season, so I must say they produced this result here, a five-point win over the Giants when it was most needed. And this was against the side that needed to win it just as much, you might say. I still don't think anyone truly knows how to read them as a side. I don't know yet whether they have a system that will stand up in finals, albeit they have several star individuals. I think we know that. But the Giants will be really hurting. I mean, they did get back to a seven-point lead at three-quarter time after being down early. There was a young lad by the name of Trent Rivers. First two career goals on the weekend. Hadn't kicked one prior to that, one of which was just about the sealer with under three minutes to go. As I said, they're, they're so, so hard to read with some of the scalps they've been able to take over the last sort of five to six weeks. But in that time, there's also been some equally flat defeats. So I think they, they will make it, but that does depend on winning again when they need to next week against Essendon next Saturday. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but they still need a result or two to fall their way as well as winning that one. And I think it needs to be a considerable win, of course, another one for them to secure that. Those individuals that we know holding that side together, they had big outings. I mean, we know that Petrarca is just a beast. Stephen May held Cameron superbly. And Max Gorn was able to feed a really dominant midfield that got on top up against Big Mummy. So five points in it in the end shows that there's very little between these two teams. But this might now have just given Melbourne the edge. Who would have thought we would be talking about Melbourne as a possibility to play finals, considering they had back-to-back losses against sides that were well and truly out of contention to play finals? If this game was played at Kazali Stadium, it might have been a different result, (laughs) but definitely a big win for the Demons. It looks as though now they're relying on results to go their way in order to make this year's final series. It's been over 20 years since the last time a captain has been dropped. And it's fair to say there's a lot of confusion and a lot of mixed messages happening at the GWS Football Club. Maxi, they're your mammoth losers this week. Tell us why. As you said, it's been a pretty big week for the Giants. They had it in their own hands to beat Melbourne, but pretty much, in my opinion, just kissed away their season goodbye. They made a grand final last year, and now they're going to be relying on results to fall their way. So this week, they'll be wanting Freer to beat the Bulldogs and also Essendon to beat Melbourne, and they've also got a huge game themselves to beat St Kilda. It's a huge week coming up for the Giants, but as you said, to drop Stephen Cornelio now, in my opinion, is just you had weeks to do it, and you've dropped him in round 17, especially considering how close the game was. I mean, it was a five-point game. And also looking at his statistics, I think there's been a few comparisons with him and young Jacob Hopper. Their statistics are pretty similar. So you sort of think, well, Cornelio hasn't been going as badly as a younger player and you decide to drop your captain. It's sort of a little bit baffling. As you said, 22 years since it's happened and they've picked a game which they needed to win to make the finals to do it. If you're going to do it, do it maybe a month out of season-defining games like this. But to me, they've just got so many players out of form. Jeremy Cameron, Himmelberg, to mention a few. I think you'd probably struggle to name a giant who's improved on last year. Maybe Jake Riccardi and his new player hasn't played before. They've had a poor season. I sort of question whether or not Jeremy Cameron is he injured. If you're going to drop Cornelio last week, are you going to drop Jeremy Cameron this week? And can they afford to drop him, considering that there's sort of 
few rumours considering he's still weighing up his future. He hasn't signed a contract as of yet. So do they drop Cornelio knowing they've got him signed away to a seven-year deal, but they're not willing to do it to Jeremy Cameron who's not signed away yet? Bit of a question mark there. When it comes to is this a wasted season, I'm not sure, but they're going to rue some big losses. So three of their losses to Adelaide, who currently sits 18th, to North Melbourne, who currently sits 17th, and to Sydney, who finished 15th. So the Giants are sort of one of those teams, a little bit like Melbourne and a bit like Essendon, where you just don't know what you're going to get week to week this season. And we probably wouldn't have said that about GRS in seasons previous, but there's a few question marks considering I think Aiden Kors left already. <laughs> I don't know whether or not he'll play this week. To me, they desperately need a Ruckman, considering Shane Mumford's is as close to done as any Ruckman, maybe even Tommy Belchamps, who announced his retirement. And also Sam Jacobs, who's come to the club this year, but just hasn't provided anything. In the trade period, I'd be recommending that the Giants go heavy at Ruckman, whether that's maybe a Braden Pruce, as we mentioned about every club looking for a Ruckman, get big Prucey on board, maybe even like yeah. a Tom Hickey, or whether or not they throw some cash at Todd Goldstein and maybe offer up a first or second round pick to North and see if they bite. Yeah, I want to open up to you guys. If the Giants don't make the finals, is it a wasted season? I think so, given the track they've been on the last few seasons. I know there's a lot of factors and exceptional circumstances here, but they're sort of ones that a lot of other teams are facing as well. So um, I think so, based on where I think they would have been expected to be, to somehow not finish in the eight. Had you have said that pre-season, I think uh, most of the Giants camp would have thought that to be a disastrous result quite honestly especially after round one do you remember round one where they smacked along and you thought shorter quarters shorter season this is going to suit how the Giants play but after that they pretty much looked shot like in the entire season and I think Maxie you've mentioned it a lot as well about similar to Essendon they move the ball very very slowly but they have the ability to move the ball really quickly and give their really talented forwards a lot of opportunity to score and they just haven't been doing that enough this season when they have taken the game on and when they have played quickly they've been scintillating they've been very very hard to stop they've beaten Richmond Collingwood and as you mentioned Geelong I mean these are some very highly touted teams so they definitely have the ability and again, they fell short last year. We, we gave them a pass mark because it was a commendable effort finishing outside the top four to make the grand final. But again, those areas that they were struggling with a lot of years gone by, they continue to struggle with. They can't retain players. They're going to have to at least clear out two of their top end talents, whether that is Zach Williams or possibly Josh Kelly to save some kind of salary cap room. They have like-for-like players, as you mentioned, Maxi, and they've got Steve Coniglio, who's a captain who, yes, is grossly out of form, but I also question the joint captaincy really, really worked for the Giants in seasons gone mm. by, and I really rate Phil Davis as a leader, and apparently Coniglio wasn't going to accept a joint captaincy, which is really disappointing because I still see him as a natural, revered leader at that club, and he probably still does offer up a lot of leadership and a lot of advice to Steve. But I would have liked to see both of them take that captaincy. And it's a lot of pressure for a young person such as Steve Coniglio. And as you mentioned, Maxie, whether that contract along with the captaincy, whether that was a little bit of a luring factor for him to stay. So many question marks over this club. And yeah, what do they do next year with their ruck stocks as well? That's another big question. So yeah, it's a failed season. Not a lot of positives, not a lot of highlights to take away from it. I think one of the main ones is that they've got so much talent on that list. And I truly believe that if they get that right and they have committed to Leon Cameron, they've proven that they can make it to the finals and have an impact. So I'd like to see those changes made that you guys suggested, but I believe in their list, but 
Do I believe in their leadership and do I believe in their selflessness? Not so much. Yeah, I agree with what you said. They also have to get their fitness department right because they're another one of these clubs similar to Essendon. There's so many parallels between Essendon and JWS at the moment, both in game plan but also fitness departments where they can't get their best teams out on the park at all. I mean, for years now. When was the last time JWS had a season that wasn't marred by injuries? And the same with Essendon in the last probably three years. And JWS probably gone back even longer than that. So the budget's been sort of cut when it comes to footy departments next year. But if I was JWS, I'd be putting a fair bit of money into the fitness department because they've got this team who's probably still in the window, but they've been in the window for probably the last four years and they haven't got there. So I know they've come close, but they don't want to waste the next two or three. I probably can't see them making the finals this year, considering I think the Bulldogs are probably in the box seat. Wasted season, in my opinion. GWS are definitely this week's mammoth loser. Let's get to the second mammoth loser for this week. And they have been the mammoth losers for quite some time now, but it is important to highlight them because... They need to do a lot of soul-searching off-field and get a lot of their departments right, including the coaching box and also the talent on their list. North Melbourne had another very, very disappointing loss on the weekend to an up-and-coming team in Fremantle. And Fryzy, where to now for North Melbourne? Lots of question marks over them as well. Yeah, that's certainly the question I'm asking here, guys. A season of struggles just continued. I mean, this is a 10-goal defeat to the Dockers where North Melbourne side only managed five. This season ends next round only getting tougher as they face the West Coast Eagles to finish. I just wonder whether or not the the realisation is starting to hit this sort of rebuild of of some type might be what's needed from here. I think they might have identified that they have got this wrong. This approach recruited very hard the last couple of seasons when the time perhaps wasn't quite there, nor was the shape of their list. You speak of the coaching box, Serp, and I noticed the last few weeks, Reshaw's gone pretty hard in dropping some senior players as well. So it seems like the message hasn't really... Really carried. This included Jared Pollock, who North Melbourne picked up for several seasons at a lot of money. How would you have seen his introduction so far? It's a fair demise from where he was initially. Pick five overall, the national draft in 2010, and played 90 games for Port Adelaide, 16 for Brisbane, and now he's managed to chalk up 32 for North Melbourne. But it's never, ever, ever a good look when you have one of your star players out running around in an opposition jumper in a scratch match. We Literally spoke about scratch matches just before in my footy memory. And we know they're fraught with danger, especially on those grounds that just aren't as suited for AFL players. I mean, injuries can be a plenty in those situations. So to have such a prize recruit out like that, throwing the axe at Ben Brown, who was out of form as well. I mean, these are your star players. How are you going to get them in form in a season where you don't have the VFL competition? It's sending a clear message to him, but... What are they expecting from him? Are they expecting more leadership from him? Are they expecting him to play better? Are they expecting him to fulfill a certain role that he's not doing? It's very, very confusing, in my opinion, Frizzy. Uh, it is, that's that's for sure. And I think there's perhaps an acceptable level of effort and intensity that their coaching department isn't quite seeing at the moment. I'm sure Maxi, the stats man, would probably clarify here, but 35 team tackles for an entire game as North Melbourne had on the weekend. That's probably in the unacceptable category, would I be right in saying? And they're a team last year, Frizzy, who were relentless in their tackling pressure. Last year, 
after Reshaw was appointed, they bet some very high finishing clubs that are in this year's top eight. Where is that pressure gone? I do not know. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. And I think we've heard them mention uh, the pressure numerous times this season. And it, it's just not there, not anywhere near the standards. And I think one win out of their last 14 games speaks for itself. Just not a lot of cohesion at all between that group. It does leave many questions now from here on in. I think we know the only next step is to go for that rebuild type method and yeah they're just not anywhere near the the mark at this stage absolutely fries it's been a very very disappointing second half of the season for the north melbourne football club gents i want to ask you quickly about aiden core because there's been a lot of linking with him to the north melbourne football club he announced he doesn't want to be at gws next year if north melbourne do acquire his services is this the kind of player they need i think aiden core is a good player one of the positives for north melbourne is they know where they're at I think one of the dangers for clubs, particularly our club, Essendon, is one of the dangers of being in the AFL is you have to know where you're at. And at least that's probably the one positive that North Melbourne can take out of this season where they sort of thought that they were competitive side and make finals and they know that the decisions that they've got to make. I still think that when you look at North Melbourne, they're not playing good football at all. But I still think they've got some good youngsters, which is a good base to invest heavily in the draft. And they've still got youngsters who can come through with those kids who they're going to draft in the next one, two and three years. Like he's a good player. So is Marnie. I rate him as a little forward pocketer player. Simkin, Luke Davies, Uniac are going to be two really good midfielders. Also Zerha, he's probably not as consistent as you'd hope. He's shown a lot. Jed Anderson and Luke McDonald are sort of that 24, 25 age, but they're still young enough. I think there's a few positives for North to take out of this season, just considering that they do have a base of young players to go along with the draftees that they're going to bring in through the club in the next two years and they know where they're at. I also think when you look at Reese Shaw's press conferences, he sort of seems like bereft of answers and a bit demoralised. So I think North Melbourne really need an older, probably more experienced senior assistant, maybe a Choco Williams or someone like that. But Reese Shaw definitely needs help in the box. But um, yeah, it's been a pretty poor end to the season for him. Ross Lyon might be possibly thinking about a bit of a comeback in the coaching box. He, he, won't, he won't be the main man, but he, he might be a secondary man. And look, as long as there's some lollies in the back there for him, I think you'll be pretty happy with that. <laughs> very, very good analysis, gentlemen of the considerable winners and the mammoth losers for this round. Let's get on to one of our favourite segments on the show. It is Bring It Back, Give It The Sack, Have A Crack. My back and my crack. Oh, yes. This week on Bring It Back, we've been watching the ball fly through the big sticks. And one man who stands underneath the goals in his fluoro costume is none other than the entertainer himself, David Roden. Oh, we used to love David Roden when he used to run around. He was on Dancing with the Stars, and we know he has some very, very slick moves. But gentlemen, in a time where there are umpiring decisions getting disputed and a lot of anger and angst from different states. Don't we love seeing an umpire that every single time the ball goes through the big sticks, we see a big smile from the man who is the officiating goal umpire. It is such a great look. It's fantastic to see someone smiling from the umpiring fraternity. What do we reckon, gents? We don't see enough of it anymore. We, we see more of a almost robotic, sterile environment sometimes. 
I'm with you on this, Serp. Uh, I think anything that can lighten the mood a bit sometimes is only a good thing. I think if there's a goal of the year contention, he should just straight out do the worm. Hit the deck and start <laughs> doing the worm, you know? Get creative with it. Get a little jiggy with it. <laughs> We've got a grand final at a ground that's not supposed to have grand finals. We got it at night time. We may as well make it as much of an entertainment spectacle now as, as we can. He's one of the best in the business, day, right, as well. So if it's a Port Adelaide Richmond grand final, then surely he umpires and he also presents the Nob Smith. <laughs> he certainly did. Very, very early days. You're talking probably Cup. nearly two decades ago. Yep. He debuted in 2002 for the Tigers and he, he okay. played 65 games for the Richmond <laughs> Football Club. So had a wow. very, very great career there. And I think he had the dreadlocks at the time as well, boys. So yeah, he certainly got a bit of spunk as the old Davey Roden. I remember in the EJ Whitten game when he did, he did the worm. So I reckon we let him loose. Grand final day. Grand final day, if it's Richmond, Port Adelaide, let him do the worm if there's a very, very worthy goal or a match-winning goal. We can only dream, boys. Give it the sack! Oh, gentlemen, I could go on a rant, but I'm going to let you do this for me. John Worsfold, he has officially checked his luggage and left the airport. He may be front and centre for the press conferences for the Essendon Football Club at the moment, but... His care factor has dropped to the floor. Lots of mixed messages from when he spoke at the very, very start of the season to the middle of the season to now. Oh, how things change in football. But gee whiz, John, you're about to retire as a senior coach. As the senior coach, you did a great job back in 2016 for the Bombers, but you have well and truly distanced yourself. It is enough! Oh. <laughs> It's sort of, I think we've mentioned it before, but you remember his last season at West Coast? It was a pretty similar sort of scenario where he just didn't get at the end of his last season at West Coast and he just doesn't get now. Just the level of inconsistency in his media conferences. I feel sorry for the Essendon media manager. He probably has a little talk with John and says, John, say this, say that before the press conference and then you see him and you think, the hell are you talking about, John? He's talking about referring to the fact that no one in the media thought that Essendon were going to be top four or top eight this season. I'm thinking, why are you basing how you're performing off what the media's expectations were prior to the season? I think a few weeks ago, he said, Essendon's going to be a very good side very quickly. And then a few weeks ago, he says, we're three pre-seasons behind Geelong. And this week, he starts referring to Essendon as they. And he says, they need to put in a lot of work. And then he also has a go at Essendon people saying they can't just expect to be successful just because they're a big club and now all the AFL clubs are going to bound by the same rules, which to me was a little bit of a backhander saying to the club's history, saying that most of your success has probably come in a time where the competition's been less regulated. To drop Kale Hooker and have a go at him in the press conference saying if a mature player isn't performing, then they're not going to get picked. Like, John, did you not see David Zaharakis' first half of the season, mate? And, like, you're going to pick... Kyle Hooker now, who's just played his 200th game, and you're going to have a go at Kyle Hooker, who's probably one of the most loyal players and the bloke who actually shows a bit of emotion out on the ground. Um, to have a go at Kyle Hooker, I think, was pretty poor. It's sort of just a backhander out the door sort of thinks, well, were you thinking this the whole time, John, or are you just a bit salty that you probably wanted to leave last year and they hugged you to your contract and you're probably getting a little bit of the blame for the coaching when you're not really coaching at all, you're just sitting on the bench and nobody knows really what you're doing. It's just so frustrating from an Essendon perspective. I think he sort of 
he doesn't really get the fact that he's talking to the supporters, not just the media. Should I we sort of... sack him, gentlemen? Should we sack him before the game? We still have time. <laughs> There's time. One game to go. It'll... Then we can still say we sacked him. Oh, I fully agree. I mean, if Rutten is the man in the driver's seat and will be going forward, why haven't we heard from him this year? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think um, quite rightly, I think the one point that Maxi nailed there is that you are talking to the fans. This is your way of communicating to them. If he does get that, well, then it's... Not just a slap in the face to some of the fans. It's a deliberate one. But um, whether or not it was the right um, approach, we don't know. But I guess in, in 12 months' time, we'll be having a different conversation as to how successful or not the handover appears to have been. Usually with a first-year coach, they get a little bit of like a, um, a honeymoon period. Where To me, Ben Rutten's not going to get that at all next season. So if the Bombers go 2-4 and four or 2-5 and five, start the next season... Pressure's going to be on Ben Rutten straight away. So frustrating times for Venice and supported to say the least. Very, very frustrating indeed. Hence why John Worsfold is going to be getting the sack from in the ballpark. I know we can't make the decision officially, but if we had the power, I think we know what the answer would be. And just looking at John Worsfold's home and away record, thankfully for Ben Rutten, all of our terrible losses this year don't go on to his fresh senior coaching record. John's got 187 wins and 178 losses with three draws with a winning percentage of 51 point choo-choo. So, John, the losses aren't going to catch up to the wins, thankfully for him. But gee whiz, he would probably be a little bit salty with the fact that we certainly haven't helped his win-loss record this season. Or 2016, so... Given the fact that he took over in 2016, where he knew that we weren't going to win too many games, I don't think he probably cares about his win-loss record too much. I mean, he's probably not even aware of it, looking at John and the kind of guy he is. But, yeah, we haven't helped him. Let's get to have a crack. Now, there's been some whispers around lately, gentlemen, that Joe Rogan could be hosting the presidential debates. Yes, please. Yes, please, by the way. We want Joe Rogan to host the presidential debates. Now, the mixed martial arts commentator and podcast superstar has offered to moderate a presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and the US president is on board with the idea. Joe Biden, I would assume with his history, probably doesn't even know who Joe Rogan is. (laughs) But I ask you, gentlemen, should we get Joe Rogan to host... This year's Brownlow medal. No. <laughs> he's not a fan of American sports, um, ball sports, that is. He's only a fan of MMA. But um, no, I don't think he's the man for the Brownlow. But I am looking forward to that if he does have a podcast with Donald and Joe Biden, that'd be interesting. It'll probably be his most watched podcast. I was just going to say what a popular episode that would be. My goodness me. Wouldn't put the Brownlow out of the question, but uh, look, I'm sure we'll be able to find any number of Australian personalities to uh, to do that nonetheless. They should have like a like a street talk sort of like host like Fev was back in the day, bring in some guest hosts for just segments and maybe Fev and Stevie Milne can have a crack at the Brownlow this season. Roaming tip rat. That, that kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> I like that. And if we're talking international stars, if we can't get the big American fish being Joe Rogan, what about Pat McAfee? <laughs> Why not? He loves the game of footy. And I tell you what, there's been no bigger fans this year than Pat McAfee over in America. It would be great to see him 
Grab the reins for the Brownlow middle. If it's going to be online, why not speculate? Why not try some new things and try some new hosting talent? we get you on board, mate. I reckon you're the host. <laughs> I don't think Neil Frizy would be too comfortable hosting the Brownlow middle. You're the man, Serbs. Let's get on to our final segment of the show. It is the game's we're most excited about for the final round of the home and away season. My gosh, it comes around quickly, doesn't it, gentlemen? And let's start with you, Frizy. What is the game you're most excited about? For me, boys, Saints and the Giants to kick it all off on Friday night, that one. They've had some pretty close and fierce encounters in years gone by, actually, that have been sort of shared between the two that the Giants need this one badly and other results to fall their way alongside that they may have missed their chance otherwise as we touched on earlier they're going to need everything possible to go right this weekend and they come up against a tough opponent in the saints who are ready to go for their first final series in just under a decade so this is the one that sticks out for mine as you mentioned how exciting is the prospect of having the saints back in the finals they've certainly waited a long time the saints fans but they'll be very very excited to see their men run out in october the once josh bruce cup now the jack Steele cup (laughs) who are you tipping for this one gentlemen we go with the Saints. Yeah, the Saints for mine. Form and all things considered, I'll be taking the Saints as well. Looking for the Saints to bounce back this week and get a big win and knock out the Giants, who, as we touched on before, have had a very, very disappointing 2020 season. And Maxi, what is the game you're most excited about for this round, mate? I'm going with Freo versus the Western Bulldogs. I'm really looking forward to this game. I said all year I've been on the Fremantle Dockers bandwagon. Bulldogs got to sitch up that final spot, but... It's going to be a tricky game against my Dockers. You've adopted them, Maxi. Mate, they're my second team. I reckon this is going to be a close game. I reckon Fremantle, they're a tricky side to play. They're really good defensively. So the Dogs will be desperate to get this win, but Fremantle are going to make it hard for them. So I'm really looking forward to this game. It's a bit of a fortress at the moment, Kazali Stadium. Similar to the Fremantle Doctor, they can handle the win pretty well, the Fremantle (laughs) boys. They have that in their repertoire. And how serious are the Doggies in season 2020? Well, we'll find out in this game. Who are you tipping? I'm going to tip the Doggies, but only just. I'd love to see the Dockers get up, though. I've got the Doggies just. Yeah, I... Uh, I'm going to actually go the other way and maybe just to, just to throw it out there, I'm going to go for Frio. I think uh, they have really taken some big strides this year, albeit not going to finish in the top eight. I'm honestly going to go for them here, gents. And the Dockers. And the Dockers. They have played a very, very impressive season. This would be a fantastic way to cap off their 2020 campaign. And the game I'm most looking forward to, gents, is a game on Monday night, and it is the final game of the home and away season. Very, very strange fixture indeed. It is Collingwood up against Port Adelaide. The Magpie Cup. The Magpie Cup, the Jail Bar Cup, Maxi. Gee whiz. Oh, I am going to put my protective helmet on for this game when watching that from home. Gee whiz, this is going to be a beauty. Collingwood can really rise up the ladder. They're guaranteed now to play finals, so they can really cement their position and get their choice of venue if they play well in this game. Port Adelaide, well, I reckon this will be a real challenge for them. They weren't challenged this week, as we know from the Bombers, but this game has a lot to like about it. And if we have Jordan Degoey kicking goals at one end, Robbie Gray or potentially Charlie Dixon at the other, gee whiz, I want to see a high-scoring affair here, gents. Who are we tipping? Port. 
but I think this would be close. I think Collingwood have sort of been working their way back into some form, but yeah, I think Port, they've made their intentions know that they wanted to finish top of the ladder. I think they'll set themselves for this game and when Port sets themselves for a game, they usually perform well. I think they really set themselves for that Richmond game, so I think they'll, I think they'll come out and they'll get the W for this one. Port for me as well, again, not with a great deal of confidence, a reluctant tip here. You're quite right. I think Collingwood have built nicely the last month or so compared to a pretty um, underwhelming few weeks prior to that. Too difficult to go against Port Adelaide for mine. I'm tipping Port Adelaide in this one as well. Now, gents, before we finish up on the show, let's do the finals predictor because as we know, the finals aren't quite guaranteed yet with all of the spots still in contention. Let's start with Thursday. Do we have the Eagles easily beating North Melbourne? Yes. St Kilda, GWS. St Kilda. Essendon, Melbourne. I have to tip Melbourne, unfortunately. Yeah, with so much on the line, I think we have to. Adelaide Oval, Richmond up against Adelaide. Richmond. Brisbane versus Carlton on Saturday night. Danger game, but Brisbane. That is a danger game. Sydney host Geelong at Metricom Stadium. Geelong. Kazali Stadium, this is going to be a hard one to tip, gents. Dockers, Doggies. Doggies just. And then Monday, we're tipping Port Adelaide just. So the way that looks is Port Adelaide will play Geelong at the Adelaide Oval, followed by the Brisbane Lions will be playing Richmond at the Gabba. Very, very similar to that qualifying final of last year. In the other games, West Coast will travel back to Perth to host the Collingwood Magpies like they did in 2018. And the final game of the finals is St Kilda. This is going to be a ripper up against the Western Bulldogs. Where will that be played? Well, destiny is in St Kilda's hands. I reckon the Saints like the Gabba. My tip is that one will be at the Gabba. If our predictions are correct, that is what the final series is going to look like with Melbourne narrowly missing out on points and percentage and the Giants sit in 10th spot. Well, gents, if that is the case, but that is an absolutely cracking first week of finals. And if I was the Brisbane Lions, I wouldn't be so happy with playing Richmond at the Gabba or anywhere for that matter. But guys, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of In the Ballpark. Enjoy the final round of the home and away season. Thanks again, sir. You too, boys. And we will see you very soon for a finals preview in the ballpark episode. Can't wait. Cannot wait for that. It is going to be an absolutely exciting time. We love the footy action coming close to the final series. And this year is no exception. I'm going to put on my helmet for all those swooping magpies. I'm still very, very nervous. Haven't quite conquered that fear yet. Gentlemen, thank you very much. And thank you out there for listening to this week's episode of In The Ballpark. Be sure to like us and subscribe to us on all of our socials. See you next time on In The Ballpark.